0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show You know, I've featured Jack Benny many, many times on Theater of the Mind But the one area I've neglected is his quotes I guess I always assumed the other writers provided him with his hilarious quips, but nope, he had delivered some beauties. So, just for fun, let's run down a few. My wife Mary and I have been married for 47 years, and not once have we had an argument serious enough to consider divorce. Murder, yes, but divorce, never. How about this one? I don't deserve this award, but I have arthritis, and I don't deserve that either. Uh, here's one. Age is something that doesn't matter unless you're a cheese. Age is strictly a case of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Uh, more Jack Benny quotes here. No matter how often I tell people I'm 39, some will refuse to believe I'm that old. Hm. A rich man is one who isn't afraid to ask the salesperson to show him something cheaper. Geez, that is uh, that is telling, isn't it? Mm. And uh, when I give concerts, the tickets sell for five dollars to one hundred dollars. But for my concerts, the five dollars seats are down in front. The further back you go, the more you have to pay. The hundred dollars seats are the last two rows, and those tickets go like hotcakes. In fact, if you pay two hundred dollars, you don't have to come at all. Now, here's one I found. I always I must have been a bit surprised to find this in his file. I went to a meeting for premature ejaculators. I left early. <laughs> that's the closest I've ever heard him to come to a, a blue line at all. Uh, here's one. Give me golf clubs, fresh air, and a beautiful partner, and you can keep the clubs in the fresh air. Or d'oeuvre, that's a ham sandwich cut into 40 pieces. And here's the last one. It's not so much knowing when to speak, but when to pause. Boy, he used that one to great effect over his career, didn't he? And now the story of how he wound up with an ostrich instead of a turkey for Thanksgiving—an extreme case of cheapness, you think? Hmm?
2: J-E-L-L. Oh. The Jello Program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with "It's a Whole New Thing." <audio-craft> This is the age of research. Oh, so we've been doing a little research on the subject of Jell-O. Well, we found out that the best days of the week to serve Jell-O are Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Which is just another way of saying that Jell-O is always, anytime and every time, a perfectly swell dessert. For Jell-O brings you that full, extra-rich flavor. The flavor as fresh and sunny as the real ripe fruit itself. And all six of Jell-O's famous flavors have the same rich goodness. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. A grand, satisfying flavor that has made Jell-O America's favorite gelatin dessert. And you like Jell-O's gay appetizing appearance, too. It's shimmering, jewel-like colors that make it look so inviting. So enjoy some tomorrow. Just be sure to get genuine Jell-O and don't accept any substitutes. Look for those big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O <laughs> It's a whole new thing, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, once again we bring you our master of ceremony that bubbling personality, that effervescent comedian, that fizz, Jack Benny. Well,
3: thank you. Thank
2: you. Now,
4: hello again. This is Jack Benny, the carbonated kid, talking. And, Don, I like that introduction. It fits me to a T. I am bubbling and effervescent. The fizz you can have back.
2: But <laughs> well, Jack, let me explain. When I called you a fizz, it was really a compliment. I meant you were physical.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, a uh, fizz for short. I understand, Don, perfectly. In other words, if you
4: called me a mug, you'd really mean I was magnificent. Is that it? Exactly. Well, Don, if you think I fell for that, you're a fathead, and that short for your whole body. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Don, uh, let's not get into a routine Because uh, I know how you appreciate a good story And I heard a gag a few minutes ago That will positively put every one of your tins in motion Oh, it's a honey It's a good one, huh? Well, Virgil, the sound man, told it to me And you know what a clown he is Get this, Don (laughs) Don, (laughs) I I haven't even told you the story yet What are you laughing at? Is it the one about the near old maid that buried the midget? No, (laughs) heavens, no, Don Heaven, not that one. Now, this is a brand new story. Get this. There was a fellow walking down the street, and he was leading a pink alligator on a leash. When all of a sudden, it started to act up and snap at him. Uh Uh-huh. So the guy got annoyed, turned around to this pink alligator, and said... You better behave yourself, or I'll take a bromo seltzer, and that'll be the end of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, isn't that terrific, Don? Oh, it sure is. That Virgil
2: has a great sense of humor. Gee, that was
5: a funny story, Mr. Benny. Oh,
4: Dennis,
2: I didn't see it. Did you
5: like it? Yeah. But there's one thing that puzzles me. What? If the man was walking down the street, where did he get the bromo seltzer?
4: Well, I don't know. He probably had a box of it in his pocket.
5: Oh. Then I guess he had a glass of water in his other pocket.
4: Yes, Dennis, and a banjo on his knee.
3: <laughs>
4: now, don't worry about it. Say, you're here kind of early tonight, uh, Dennis. Where's your mother? She's across the street in the bowling alley. In the bowling alley? Well, with her legs, she better watch out.
3: <laughs>
4: anyway, Dennis, I'm glad you're here on time tonight, and I'll try and make a habit of it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jack, I can't get over that story you told me. It's silly, but I get a great kick out of it. Isn't it ridiculous? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hello, Mary.
6: Hello, Jack. What's so funny?
4: Mary, I must tell you. Did you hear the story about the fellow that was walking down the street eating a pink alligator on a leash?
6: Is that the one where the man said, I'll take a bro myself and that'll be the end of you? Yes. No, tell it to me. Well, <laughs> this guy was...
4: Wait, you just told me the answer. I thought you said you never heard it.
6: Oh, stop, Jack. That's one of the oldest jokes in the world.
4: Mary, jokes happen to be my business. If that was the oldest joke in the world, I'd be the first one to know it.
6: Did I let him have it, folks? <laughs> Never mind.
4: Do me a favor, will you, Mary? Go out and come back in again.
6: Well, gee, Jack, as long as you're telling jokes, why don't you tell a good one? I heard a gag last night that was terrific.
1: Oh, you did, eh? Yeah.
6: A man walked into the house and said to his wife, it's raining cats and dogs outside. Uh-huh. And she said, how do you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I just stepped in a, a poodle. <laughs> I know where
4: you heard that, Mary, at the Wilshire Bowl. Bill Harris has been husking that for three years.
3: <laughs> That's
4: his theme, Joe. You know, Don, Phil's idea of humor is really pitiful.
2: Oh, I don't know about that, Jack. I was at the ball one night, and the people screamed at him. Sure, they
4: scream at him. Every time he finishes a gag, he has a waiter throw a custard pie in his face. (laughs) That's why.
2: I didn't see anybody do that. Oh, well,
4: you must have been their bucket of water night. (laughs) That's his idea of changing material.
6: Well, I'll say one thing about Phil. He sure attracts the young collegiate crowd. All the college boys go there.
4: They have to go there, Mary. That's part of their initiation. (laughs) Before they can join a fraternity, they have to either listen to Harris or sleep all night in a graveyard. (laughs) In a graveyard? Yes, and you'll be surprised at the number of kids around here that aren't afraid of ghosts. (laughs) Yes, sir.
6: You know, Jack, Phil sure believes in that college spirit. Look at that sign on the bass drum.
4: Oh, yeah. Bill Harris and his collegians. Look, he spelled collegians with one L. Well, he spelled
6: Phil with two, so it's all even.
4: You know, Mary, sometimes I think that Phil.
6: Jiggers, here he comes now.
4: do oh, jiggers me. <laughs> now, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. What's going on? Well, to tell the truth, Phil, for the last five minutes, we've been talking about you. Well, a little buildup ain't never hurt nobody. No, Phil, and never done you no good either. <laughs> <laughs> Your grammar is worse than Abe Lyman's, and he never got beyond block. <laughs> well, who cares about grammar? I got other things to worry about. Oh, I can imagine. Say, Phil, uh, I noticed that new sign you got on the bass drum. What happened to that corny painting you used to have there? Corny? Yeah, you know, the one with the yellow moon and the green river and the purple trees. Remember that one, Mary?
6: Yeah, he used to call it Gypsy Doodle by Rembrandt.
4: That's a while. Whatever happened to that painting, Phil? I sold it to the Metropolitan Museum in New York. You mean the Museum of Fine Art? I don't know what they got there, but that's the joint that bought it.
3: <laughs>
4: Phil, are you crazy? Crazy nothing. Someday that picture will be hanging in Paris. Right next to the Mona Lulu. <laughs> I'm not going to even bother to correct that. (laughs) How do you like that, Mary? The most famous painting of a woman in the world, and Phil doesn't even know her name.
6: If she were alive, he'd know her name and phone number.
4: (laughs) And her address and what she's doing on Friday night. (laughs) Well, I got myself on a detour for no reason at all. And besides... Hey, Jack,
2: why don't you tell Phil that story the sound man told you? He'll get a kick out of it.
4: Oh, he wouldn't even get it. Come
2: on, Jackson, what is it? Let's hear it. All right,
4: Phil, do you know the one about the fellow who was walking down the street and his pink alligator snapped at him? Know it. I'm the guy that drank the Bromo.
3: <laughs>
4: there you are, fellas. He's always got a brilliant comeback, even if he has to make a bum out of himself. <laughs> oh, Dennis. Yes, please.
5: Uh, how, about a,
4: how about a song before we get involved again?
6: Okay, Mr. Benny, I'm going to sing
5: an old favorite by Stephen Foster called "Genie with the Light Brown Hair."
4: Oh, that's swell, Dennis. I I love those old songs.
6: Old songs, old gags. What this program needs is glands. <laughs>
3: Mary,
4: you just attend to your own little knitting. I'll handle the show. Sing, Dennis, I'm the guy that drank the bromo. <laughs>
5: the light brown hair Born like a vapor on
3: the golden
5: air I see her dripping where the bright spring slays Happy as a daisy along her way
3: Many are the wild
5: a merry voice would call Many are the blight's That warbles them all Oh I dream of genie with the light brown hair Looking high Melodies attuned to love Warm as a fun life From heaven above Many other fun notes A merry voice would call.
4: The Light Brown Hair, sung by Dennis Day. And Dennis, those old songs always do something to me. I love them. Me too. Genie with the Light Brown Hair. What a grand title. You know, Dennis, uh, I used to have light brown hair and hair. Why, Jack, from the pictures I've seen of you, I thought you had black hair. No, Don, it was brown. uh, Sort of a russet brown. You know, just like the leaves in autumn.
6: Well, rake them up and let's get on with the show. (laughs)
2: Mary, I wish you'd stop with those
3: interruptions
4: (laughs) Anyway, Dennis, uh, Dennis, I noticed another thing Your singing seems to improve every week You're gaining poise and confidence Well, thanks, Mr. Benny Just think, this is your seventh week on my program
5: Seven weeks? Gee
4: Yes, sir
5: Am I gonna get paid pretty soon?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty soon, Dennis And now, uh, ladies and gentlemen Tonight, we are going to... Hey, Jackson, why don't you pay the kids? Bill, I intend to pay him. I'm merely holding his salary until he's a little older. I'm teaching Dennis how to save money.
6: Well, he's learning from the top man.
4: <laughs> Thanks, Miss Livingston. And if I were you, I wouldn't say another word unless you rub it up on the Lum and Abner program.
2: <laughs>
4: and now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight we are going oh, to... hear here
2: you are, Dennis. Did you sing your song yet? Yes, Mother.
4: Well, uh, good evening, Mrs. Day. Good evening. Good hmm. evening. Oh, Mother, you should have been here a few minutes ago. Mr. Benny told the funniest joke. It was rather good. Tell it to her, Dennis.
5: Well, Mr. Benny was walking down the street leading a pink alligator. Oh, dude,
3: eh?
4: (laughs) Dude, it wasn't me, Mrs. Day. Dennis got the story all wrong. I never touch a drop of liquor. Then
5: why have you got that red nose?
4: Because I'm a comedian. What do you think? (laughs) My tie lights up, too. This story, Mrs. Day, is about a man who takes a bromo seltzer and gets rid of a pink alligator.
2: What's funny about that?
4: Nothing. It's very sad. I'm crying like anything.
3: <laughs>
4: oh, what a dame. What's that? I said, oh, what a game. I saw UCLA play Santa Clara yesterday.
3: <laughs> it
4: was thrilling. <laughs> And now, ladies and gentlemen, if you will please forgive my outburst. As I started to announce, tonight we are going to offer an original little playlet all about Thanksgiving, written especially for the occasion by Mary Livingston. Uh, Mary, let me
2: have it, will you?
6: Oh, Jack, I forgot to tell you. What? I changed my mind about a Thanksgiving play, and I wrote a poem instead.
2: A poem? Hey, Mary, you mean to say we're not going to do a Thanksgiving play? No. Gee, and I was all set to be one of them pilgrims.
4: Oh, fine. You'd make a great pilgrim,
2: Phil. Well, I would. Listen, buddy. My ancestors came over on the Mayflower.
4: Oh, did a Doc and Dixie?
3: <laughs> I thought
4: your family always lived in Tennessee. Not originally. You see, we migrated from Massachusetts.
3: <laughs>
4: migrated. You don't by any chance mean you migrated. All right, we move. Forget it. Migratated. You hear that, Mary?
6: Yeah, he put in an extra syllable in it.
4: You're not Paluli.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, before we get out of the mood, let me say a few words about Jalello. Jalello. (laughs) Jalelo? It is economical, easy to make, and comes in six delicious flavors. So look for the big red lateters on the barack.
4: Thanks, Don. You surveyed the day. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, as we have no Thanksgiving play. Mary
6: Livingston's gonna read a Thanksgiving poem.
4: Oh, no, nothing doing.
6: Oh, gee, it's swell, Jack. I
4: don't care. You're not gonna read it.
6: Jack, Benny, you let me read this poem, or I won't buy my Christmas card from you this year. <laughs>
4: All right, A lot I make on the ones you get <laughs> you Don't even have your name printed on them <laughs> Now go ahead with your poem Okay What's the title of it?
6: The title is Thanksgiving, You're a Little Mixed Up, Aren't You, Kid? <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, that fits Go ahead
3: <clears throat>
6: Oh, Thanksgiving Oh, Thanksgiving you are with us twice this year With your pumpkin pie and dressing And your turkey, front and rear
4: That's the part I always get you know?
6: The pilgrims planned in days of yore That you'd come once, not anymore But now you are a double feature And we don't know what day to greet you Greet you? Sure. That's what I said, you gorgeous creature
4: Now don't be funny, go ahead with the poem
6: Suppose we had two everything Two New Year's Eve to laugh and sing Two Christmases, two Labor Days, and two Jack Benny's with two toupees.
4: Mary, you're too, too pressing. Are you through?
6: No, but I'm coming into the stretch. Oh. So, Thanksgiving, I don't mind. If you're a week before or a week behind. Mm. (laughs) What's the difference? What the heck? The turkey's the guy that gets it in the neck. The end.
3: Very good.
4: Mary, that was silly, but you came through with flying colors. And now, Phil, how about a number to kind of break things up here? Okay, Jackson, what do you want us to play? Anything special?
2: Well? You name it, and we'll play it.
4: All right, how about that number you rehearsed all morning? You know, the only one you can possibly play.
2: Oh, okay, hit it, boys.
4: He asked for request (coughs) yes. Hold it a minute, Phil. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? Are you a little
2: mixed up on account of the two Thanksgivings this year? Yes, I am. Why? I was in a fog when we only had one.
3: Goodbye. (laughs)
2: He's not kidding,
4: folks. He's got his shoes on backwards. Play, (laughs) Phil. version of an old favorite played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, fellas... Hey, support- what's the matter?
2: Aren't you going to complain about the number we just played?
4: No, Phil. I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. Didn't you, Mary?
6: Yeah, it was well. Did you like it, Don?
2: I thought it was okay. How'd you like it, Jack? Oh, it was great. How'd you like Phil's number, Mary?
6: Well, I thought it was a little loud and spots, didn't you, Don?
2: Yes, it seemed a little off here and there. What did you think of it, Jack? I thought it was lousy. <laughs>
4: And now, fellas. Hey, what is this, a rib? Yes, Bill, we were just kidding. I thought your number sounded exceptionally good. Didn't you, Mary?
6: Feel me out, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs>
4: now, fellas, as I started to say a little while ago, and before I forget it, uh, Thursday being Thanksgiving, I want all of you to come over to my house for a real old-fashioned turkey dinner. How about it? Oh, wow. thanks, well, great, Jack. Well, well, and Dennis, well uh, Dennis, this invitation goes for you also. His mother, too. Yes, Mrs. Day, my party wouldn't be complete without you
5: You don't sound very sincere about it
4: well, What do you want me to do, send you a mash note?
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Glad to have you, the more the merrier <laughs> Good heavens
6: Say, Jack, is this party going to be like the one you gave last Thanksgiving? What do you mean? I mean, is the turkey going to be like a lamb?
4: <laughs> don't worry about that, Mary, this is going to be a real dinner I've got the biggest, fattest, juiciest turkey you ever saw Where'd you run over it? I didn't run over it It's a live turkey I got it in my garage Right now It's roosting on my Maxwell
6: That's that's all that car needs (laughs)
4: you wait till you see that word, I better weigh sixty-five pounds. Sixty five pounds? Why, Jack, you must be mistaken about that. Oh, no, I'm not, Don. I had it on the scales. It's an enormous thing. Sixty five pounds. Are oh, you kidding? I'm not kidding. Wait till next Thursday and you'll see for yourself. It's got to be a swell party. How many people are you expecting, Jack? Well, there'll be our gang, and then I invited Clark Gable and Carol Lombard, Bob Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck her own power and Annabella.
6: Oh, Jack, you always ask them to every party you give and they never show up. Well? Why don't you stop inviting them?
4: I can't stop now. They'll think I'm mad at them.
6: <laughs>
4: you know how it is. How can they be mad at you when they don't even know them? I don't even know them? Listen, Phil, I know every one of those stars personally.
6: Sure, Jack tells them their Christmas cards. Mary, <laughs>
4: right, will you stop harping on that? The only reason you ever got cards from me is because I happen to have some left over. Every year. Oh quiet. <laughs> now don't forget, fellas, Thursday night at my house. Oh wait, wait, a second. Second. Boy, we're gonna have a big turkey and cranberry sauce and potatoes. And Don, guess what kind of jello we're gonna have for dessert? Strawberry? No.
2: Raspberry? No. Cherry? No. Orange? No. no. Lemon? No. Give up? Yes. Lie. <laughs>
4: You see, Don, you almost had it.
6: There's a kindergarten commercial, if I ever heard one. <laughs>
4: Never mind, that's what we're going to have. Now, look, kids, if I don't see you again before Thanksgiving, be sure to be at my house by 7 o'clock sharp. And don't eat a big lunch, so you'll, uh, you'll really enjoy the turkey. I'll take it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. this is Rod, Jefferson. All right, what do you want? Well, boss, I just heard you talking about a big Thanksgiving party Thursday night. That's my night off. Sorry, Rochester, but you'll have to work. You can take a day off some other time. I can get my twin brother to take my place. I don't want your twin brother. Well, he looks just like me. <laughs> I don't care if he does. I want you to be at my house on Thursday night. How about me and spirit and my brother in person? <laughs> Rochester, don't try any tricks. I can tell the difference between you and your twin brother. That's more than this gal can. <laughs> Never mind. Now, look, Rochester, I want you to get that turkey up to 70 pounds by Thanksgiving, to so go out in the garage and feed it. I'm working on a Christmas card. They can wait.
2: <laughs>
4: now, go out in the garage and feed the turkey. Okay. Oh, say, boss,
2: I meant to ask you something about that bird. Are you sure it's a turkey?
4: <laughs> what do you mean, am I sure it's a turkey?
2: Well, I went out in the garage a few minutes
4: ago, and she laid an egg as big as a cantaloupe. <laughs> As big as a cantaloupe, what are you talking about? Not only that, but every time I go in there, she sticks her head in a bucket of sand.
3: <laughs>
5: what? Boss, you bought an ostrich. I bought an ostrich. That's right, she just
4: ate the headlights off your car. <laughs> the headlights, how do you know? She had two Adam's apples and they were going down downstairs. <laughs> It's all your fault, Rochester. You were with me when I went shopping for a turkey. Why did you let me buy an ostrich? I told you it was a pretty big bird for the money, but you know you. (laughs) Well, I guess there's nothing we can do about it now. Isn't that awful? I got a polar bear in the guest room and an ostrich in the garage. and mice in the pantry, let's move out.
3: (laughs) Now,
4: don't get panicky, Rochester. I'll be home in a few minutes. Meanwhile, call up the market and order a turkey. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. What? Have you changed your mind about using my twin brother Thursday night? No, I haven't. Well, I'll I'll figure out something. Goodbye. Wait a minute. Rochester. (laughs) Rochester. (laughs) Well, I'll be darned.
6: What's the matter, Jack?
4: Honey, that big turkey I bought turned out to be an ostrich.
6: Oh, boy. You're going to be lonesome on Thanksgiving.
4: I am not. Now, Mary, don't worry. We're going to have a swell dinner. Play, Phil. I wonder if you can eat an ostrich. I don't know. current Jello series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Now, don't forget, Mary, next Thursday night at my house for a real Thanksgiving dinner.
6: Count me out, Jack.
4: Now, wait a minute. I'm not going to serve that ostrich. I'm going to have a turkey.
6: Oh, you are, eh? Yes. Well, if I find a headlight in the dressing, watch out.
4: Oh, don't worry. Good night, folks, and a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>
2: Every Tuesday night, the Aldrich family is on the air, starring Ezra Stone as Henry Aldrich, that lovable hard luck kid. Consult your local newspaper or radio guide for time and stations, and be sure to tune in on the Aldrich family next Tuesday night. Bluebirds in the Moonlight is from Gulliver's Travels. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Stay tuned for Sam Spade next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Sam Spade.
7: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. The non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin, wild root cream oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children too.
8: Sam, State Detective Agency. Very important, sweetheart. Write this down. Yes, Sam.
9: I have telephone paper ready.
8: Ingredients colon.
9: Punctuation or ingredients, Sam? Both. What is it, Sam? A recipe.
8: One pound of fennel.
9: Oh, that's liquid measure, Sam. You put
8: that in later. What well, about funnel? Not funnel, fennel. It is not liquid. It grows at fairly pines. It's fairly what, Sam? One root of St. John's wort. Whose wort? Not wort. Wart. Oh, what? Don't interrupt. Some uh, new size. A couple pounds ought to be enough. One ounce of bats wool. One anter fork. That is not a utensil. One fillet of finny snake. Some lizard's legs, one hemlock root, digged in the dark. Directions. In the poisoned entrails throw, toad that under cold stone days and nights has to be won. And if anyone drops in for trick-or-treat, Effie, leave him have it.
9: Oh, Sam, now I get it. Halloween. It's a witch's brew. <laughs> You're only fooling me. That's
8: what you think, sweetheart. Get out your cauldron, your poison pen, and your book of malefactions. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the fairly bright caper
3: or... I should have stood in bed and ducked for apples.
7: Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade, presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all, in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Is
10: that the wind dying? No, it's only two devils that blow through a murderer's bones to and fro, in the ghost's moonshine.
9: Oh, 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 Sam, take off that ridiculous mask. <sighs> you look about as much like a demon. As to... a
10: demon, check. Uh, fly your broom to the adjoining office, sister, and we'll weave a few spells. Uh, date, uh, Effie. Yes, Sam? What is this thing on my desk? Looks like a pumpkin.
9: It is a pumpkin. I made it this afternoon. Here, I'll light it.
10: Well, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? Eyes and nose and mouth. Looks like Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide.
9: Well, thank you, Sam. Thank
10: you. Well, I guess everyone knows it's Halloween, even if they don't listen to the radio. Shall we? We shall. Uh, date, All Hallows' Eve, 1948, to Hillary Bright, Esquire, number 13, Black Place, City. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the Fairly Bright Caper. It was a fairly bright afternoon for the fog-bound Bay Area. There was no frost upon the pumpkin. In fact, as yet no pumpkin. But I did see a black cat and several attractive wolf girls in broomstick skirts during the bus ride down the peninsula to your client's ancestral estate, Fairley Pines bat flew out of a hollow tree as I mushed up a road through some pine woods to the house. In the gathering dusk, I also observed the toad, a lizard, and a hootie owl, which of memory serves as staple ingredients for a witch's brew. And I observed, hobbling out of the forest, an authentic hag... She was wearing a dusty black robe, a peaked black hat, and her matted gray hair coiled serpent-like around her evil countenance. She leaned on a gnarled staff of hemlock, fixed me with her yellow glittering eyes, and said,
9: Hello, kiddo. Yes, am Which way's the house?
10: Which house?
9: Very fine. Lost my bearings, I did. I was looking for some fellows. Oh. I got the back wall riding up the newt's legs. Couldn't find no adders folks. but reckon this here copperhead will do the trick.
10: Uh, what are you going to do with all that stuff?
9: It's for the brew. I'm the witch I hired for tonight. Name's Gudge. Born Sophia, but of course I don't have no Christian name anymore since I sold out old scratch. Beat me down on my price, he did, too. Look at that wart on my nose. What nose? Huh? Uh,
10: the house is up that way.
9: Mind if I walk along with you, pretty boy?
10: I don't like girls. Huh? Uh, no, not at all, uh, ma'am.
9: No need to be afeard. But a you see there, they obeying me, they'll be lucky if I give them a whiff of brimstone. Uh, not so
10: close, please.
9: But I did promise one manifestation and the scream of a soul in torment is the witching hour. Yeah. Ah!
8: Who is that?
10: What's oh. your name, sir? Uh, where do I find Mr. Hillary Bright?
11: Oh, you're the detective, Miss Spade? Right. Oh, well, I'm Homer Langdon, attorney for the Fairley State. Uh, come along, I'll take you to him. Sorry for that challenge just now. Been hearing strange noises around the grounds. You notice anything peculiar as you came up the road?
10: Uh, well, there was an old lady. I used the term loosely. Looking for Fennel? Yeah. Uh, that's the witch. Mr. Bright hired her for the party tonight. Takes her work kind of seriously, doesn't she?
11: Well, you know how it is seasonal work. What does she do between Halloweens? Claims she hibernates. Yeah, oh, the. you. Mrs. fairly Spade. She's eccentric. Don't let her know. Check.
12: Oh, here I am, homer. What was it you wanted? Oh, it's the man from the caterer. No,
11: Ophelia, this is Mr. Spade, the detective that Mr. Bright employed.
12: Oh, well, about that recipe for the aspic. Cook says she's never heard of putting fennel and lizard's claws in a tomato aspic. And Mr. Bright says hemlock is poison.
10: Uh, You've got it mixed up, Ophelia. That's the recipe for the witch's brew.
12: Well, anyway, the grocer says he doesn't stop them, so you'll have to garnish it with parsley. Uh,
11: uh, Ophelia, he's not the caterer. He's the detective.
12: Oh, well, keep your eye on those pumpkins. Mice, you know.
10: Mice?
12: You know. Mice. Pumpkins? Where is that witch? I've got to tell her about the party. Oh, witch?
3: Mr. Swart! Where are
11: you? <sighs> Sad case, but harmless. Shall we go in?
3: Yeah. Now, uh,
13: what's his jawbone, Wilma? you've already broken his neck. Oh, why don't you hire an assistant? I don't
9: like hanging him in the house anyway. We we don't even know who he is.
10: What are they up to now? Halloween comes once a year. Oh, it's a skeleton, part of the decoration.
9: Uh, All right. Oh, yes, yeah, Omar. I couldn't find the witch, but here's the detective. Ah, oh, well, you can have the witch. I'll take him.
13: Oh, watch what you're doing, Wilma. The ladder. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> this just about completes the arrangements. Oh. Oh. This is Miss Wilma Fairley, for whom I'm managing this nauseous ball, Sam Spade.
12: Hillary, is that any way
9: to speak about a girl's fifth engagement party? Well,
13: forgive me if I'm guilty of understatement. Oh, fix that wire, Wilma. The top of Frankenstein's head's caving in. And look at that, the bolts are coming out of his neck already. Oh, well, come along, Spade. And I'll tell you how you fit into this mess. See
9: you at the party, Sam. Oh,
13: in here, Spade. Privacy. <laughs> I uh, don't think we're quite alone, are we? Uh, 99%. This is fairly fiancé number five, Ralph Cram by name. Oh, wake up, Ralph. Oh, uh, don't bother. He uh, started the party a little early? Mm, before lunch. But can you blame him? <laughs> if I weren't a teetotaler, I'd be out staggering around the woods with, with that witch.
10: Uh-huh. Now, uh huh. Now, what exactly is my assignment, Mr.
13: Bright? I want you to be present at this miserable party tonight and pretend to have a good time. Why don't you hire an actor? Uh, This is a new kind of masquerade ball. Even I have a unique problem here. A Halloween party combined with a party announcing the engagement of a socially prominent young woman. (laughs) Well, naturally, the press will be on hand. They always are at my parties. But I doubt if any of the invited guests will show up. That's where you come in. You are one of the uninvited guests. I don't get it. it's very simply this. I have a reputation to maintain. I'm sure you have better things to do than read the society page, or like I'll explain. I believe some ill-informed columnists have referred to me as the male Elsa Maxwell. That's not true. She is the male Hillary Bright. Uh,
10: female, that is. Uh, anyway, you're a professional party giver, is that it? Uh, exactly. What's the matter with Wilma? Why won't anybody come to her party?
13: Because everyone on the guest list is either a relative or a friend of some poor swain she has jilted on the very steps of the altar. Oh, now I get it. Exactly. Now, as to the party. Masquerade, match. What else can you have on Halloween? Vegas. Yes. If anyone came, they'd probably be dressed as witches or pumpkins, which is dull enough in itself. Like so. But the Fairleys and their immediate circle will undoubtedly trot out their moth-eaten Beaux-Arts costume. Old Langdon is Louis XIV. Wilma and her mother trying to look like Greek goddesses and some old drapes from a Fanchon and Marco idea. What about the boyfriend here? Well, you can see how hideous it's all going to be. And Life magazine has promised to cover it. Well, I simply had to do something. Uh, what about the I think it's the party idea of the year. Twenty uninvited guests who will come as themselves. Uh, who's my date? The witch? Oh, isn't she priceless? You know, I thought of burning her at the stake as the grand climax of the evening. I've got matches. No, I decided against it. It's too messy.
10: Well, it sounds like loads of fun, Mr. Bright, but I'm afraid you called the wrong detective. Now, Go wait out. a
13: minute, please. Hear me out. Now, there's method in my madness. I believe I mentioned twenty uninvited guests. Who are coming as themselves, yes. Exactly. I've gone to a great deal of trouble and expense getting together a really colorful group. All authentic types. A gangster, a shrimp fisherman, a swami, three bubble dancers, a gypsy, hmm? a paroled axe murderer, a sand hog. Oh, that reminds me, I must see whether the blubber arrived for that Eskimo they're flying down from Nome. Yeah, well, What uh, I'm getting at, Spade, is that with a collection of people like that, well... Anything might
10: happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, why didn't you invite the uh, local police force?
13: Oh, they're coming in costume, of course. Good, then you won't need me. Besides, I get $800 a day in expenses. Mr. Spade, at the last party our local chief of police attended, the guests were held up and robbed at $50,000 worth of jewels, including the chief's gold bag. So, you see, we do need you. <laughs> hey, hey,
8: what's that? Oh,
13: Go back to sleep, Ralph. It's only the guests arriving.
8: I get $1,000 a day. You were right.
10: You did need a defective. In fact, you could have used several of us. First, the pickpocket you would invited lifted the police chief's wallet. The axe murderer chased the witch up at three. And the gangster and the cowboy tried to shoot it out of one of the bubble dances. After I'd foiled a safecracker in the act of blowing the vault in the library, things quieted down, and everybody formed a circle around a, a bonfire.
13: <laughs> All right, oh, quiet, please.
9: Quiet, everyone. Quiet. Please.
14: Please.
13: Mrs. Fairley has a very important announcement to make. Ophelia? She was here just a
12: few moments ago. Well, have you seen her around Langdon?
11: A minutes ago, she
10: said she had a headache and went
12: upstairs to get to master in. Sam, I'm worried about Mother. Would you mind going upstairs to see what oh, she's uh, up to? She's been behaving so strangely tonight. She's
10: been behaving strangely. Uh, sure. Uh, well, now, I'll be right well, back.
13: Come along. Let's get on with it. A oh, witch. Uh-huh. You. You stand over here. Here?
9: Yeah? No, no, no. Bring your broom. <laughs> and
13: don't look so pleasant. You're supposed to be evil.
9: Oh, 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 oh. Beware. Those not wearing toad bane is subject to warts. There's evil in
10: this place tonight. Blood on the stone, blood in the garden. I hated to miss the manifestation, and I hoped I'd get back in time for the scream of the soul and torment the witch it bounced earlier in the evening. I cased the rooms on the second floor. Wilma's fiancé, Ralph Cram, was in one of them, asleep. Ophelia wasn't in any of them. But in one of the bedrooms, I found something that puzzled me. A rope made out of bed sheets dangled out of the window, but the window was closed. I walked over and opened it. The witch was still at it. I couldn't see the merry little group around the bonfire, but where the firelight glowed against the tree trunks at the edge of the woods, I saw a white robed figure crouching in the shadows. Then I heard it. <laughs>
14: All right. right oh,
11: right.
10: come on. She's yes. no, dead. Somebody shot her. Go. She was sprawled on her face at the foot of a big pine tree at the edge of the clearing. A single slug had entered the body just below her left shoulder blade. If this was part of Mr. Bright's Halloween production, I thought he'd overdone it just a little. Because she was dead. As nearly as I could reconstruct it, Wilma had been standing outside the circle of people grouped around the fire as if somebody in the woods had called to her and she'd left the group to investigate. She'd been facing the fire when she was shot. And what about the two shots that had missed it? If the killer had been aiming at her and missed, he couldn't have avoided hitting somebody else in the crowd. I went back to the house to check the guests. All there, unwounded and accounted for, except the witch. According to the local chief of police, who was rapidly turning into a toad, she had flown away on her broom.
7: I checked my nose for warts. The makers of Wild Road Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. to the Fairly Bright Keeper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade.
10: By dawn the next morning, Aloysius Becker, boy police chief, still hadn't sweated anything out of his 20-odd suspects, but yawned. The family lawyer, Langdon, had an old gun permit. No gun. Then he canvassed the town for Wilma's 18 jilted suitors. They were all alibied by their wives and children, which knocked that angle out. She carried no insurance, nobody stood to gain anything financially by her death, and nobody but you, Mr. Bright, actively disliked her. About then, Chief Becker put Ophelia
14: back on the griddle. Now, look here, Mrs. Fairley. You still aren't coming clean with us.
12: Clean? Oh, the ash plate. I'll call the maid. Come back here. Yes, Chief Becker.
14: Now, sit down, Mrs. Fairley. Now, let's go over the part of your story where we found the bed sheets hanging out your window. Yes. Why did you tie the bedsheets together and hang them out the window? For a rope. So, you admit that you used that rope to sneak out.
12: I did no such thing. I always go out that way at night.
14: And you admit that to...
10: <clears throat> Oh, I give up. Uh, Mrs. Fairley.
12: Oh, it's you, Mr. Spade. I want to thank you for guarding the pumpkin so well. I didn't see a mouse all evening. Uh,
10: Thank you, Mrs. Fairley. I only did what...
12: uh... Oh, why is Chief Becker so angry? I
10: think what's worrying him, Mrs. Fairley, is why you closed the window behind
14: you when you went out on your rope.
12: So no one would know. Wilma worries about me. You won't tell her.
14: Ah, it's as plain as a nose on your face what she's doing. Working up to an, an insanity plea.
10: Ingenious theory, Chief. But look, uh, can I talk to you a minute outside?
14: Yeah, could use a little air. Keep them all here, my man.
10: Look, uh, Chief, why don't you lay off that poor old dame? She's ah. too vague, disorganized. It sure. took a marksman. The way the wound was, no point of exit. Just punctured the wall of the heart and stopped. A low-velocity impact.
0: Sure.
10: A what? It had been fired from about the maximum range of a thirty-eight pistol. You'd have to figure on the drop in trajectory as the bullet slowed down. It was either a trick shot or one that just connected accidentally.
14: By the way, we only have your word for it that you were upstairs in the house when those shots were fired. You carry a 38 do don't you, Spade?
10: What kind of gun do you carry, Chief? Uh,
14: yes Well, we'd better wait till Ballistic sends back the report on the slug <laughs> Gosh, if we could only figure out where she hid the gun
10: Uh, don't look now, Chase, but that witch is back again What?
14: Pretty
9: boy, where have you been?
14: I've been looking all over for you, morfles You're gonna have a good deal of explaining to do, lady Why did you fly away like that last night? Oh, eh? I
9: had to see to my cordon a good thing I did, too Look what I found in it No wonder my manifestation didn't work Base metal in my brew.
10: Hmm. 38 caliber, too. Three bullets fired.
9: Gee, that settles it. You're under arrest. Who, me? Yes. Uh, no, her. Oh, no, you don't. I'll put a spell on you, I will. I'll turn you into a toad.
10: Look, Chief, where's that gun permit? You took out of Langdon's room.
14: Oh, I forgot. forgot about that. Here, it's in my pocket.
10: Let's see that serial number. Well? They match. It's Langdon's gun.
14: Boy, oh, boy. Then it settles.
10: That's what you think, boy, oh boy. Don't forget, he's a lawyer. I headed for the woods. I found the spot where I'd seen the figure in white crouching just before the shots were fired. A little way back in the woods, I found footprints. French heels, short, mincing stride. Following along behind them was another set. Flat soles, long, manly stride. The mannish footprints followed the feminine footprints almost to the clearing and then stopped feminine footprints went on straight to the spot where Wilma had fallen. I knew that no woman had been over this trail since the murder except the witch, who probably had cloven hoofs. Her cauldron had vanished, but the fire was still smoldering. I kicked through the ashes. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I found it. I raked it out with a stick and prodded it. The blackened outer layers crumbled away. It had been a raging bonfire, but there were few things harder to burn than a telephone book. The middle pages were yellowed from the heat and seared around the edges, but they were still intact. There was a hole punched in the middle of each page. Cominant footprints right up to the X that marked the spot in the phone book through which a bullet had been fired. I had a hunch the ballistics report would prove that Langdon's gun did not fire the fatal bullet. I was right, but for the wrong reason.
11: You can't get around it, Chief. Ballistics don't lie. You can see here, you don't even need a magnifying glass.
14: Take a look there. Don't have my glasses.
10: Well, you ought to be able to feel it, Two Big ridges on the test slug. The other one's almost smooth. Rust bits wouldn't make a ridge like that, would they? Yeah, we figure they must have used a faulty cutter at the factory when they rifled the barrel.
14: Well, that settles it. That and those woman's footprints and that phone book all point to Mrs. Fairley. What's about a phone book?
10: Whoever shot her fired the slug through a phone book to make it look like a long-range job. It was a low-velocity
14: hit, all right, but it was tearing through that phone book that slowed it down. That proves the killer didn't have to be a marksman. Dude, right next to <laughs> her. What's so funny? This
7: picture in the morning paper, you and those bubble dancers, gee. <laughs> uh, let me see that. Why, that's libelous.
10: It's more than that. Huh? They're in the background, Langdon and Mrs. Fairley. What about them? Their shoes. Langdon's dressed as Louis XIV,
14: French heels. Mrs. Fairley and that Greek goddess get up. Sandals, flat heels. It's Langdon's gun, then it's not Langdon's gun. It's a long-range shot, then it's through a seed catalog. Phone book. Now it's a man in woman's shoes. An attorney at that. Honan, get me some fingerprints. Something I can work with.
10: I didn't blame the chief. My somersaulting clues were getting me busy, too. So far, Langdon, like the good lawyer he was, had kept his mouth shut, which meant nothing one way or the other. That was smart. But he disposed of his gun by throwing it in the witch's cauldron, which was stupid. A, because it was sure to be found, and B, because there was no reason for hiding it anyway. But too stupid sometimes make a smart. If he wanted it to be found, he must have had a story ready in case he had to talk. If I were in that spot, my story would have been that I fired those shots into the woods after the fleeing killer. I didn't know how I would explain the fact that only three shots were heard, one of which killed Wilma. Then I thought of those two ridges on that test slug. Two ridges, two shots into the woods. This time, I did know what I was looking for. They were buried deep in the soft trunk of a pine tree near the ground. I dropped to my knees and dug. I got the first one out and was looking at it. It was a misshapen hunk of worthless lead. Something embedded in the side of it glittered in the sun like a diamond. In fact, it was a diamond and it stopped glittering. Something behind me had come between it and the sun. I flopped on my side and rolled over. I grabbed his legs and tripped him. Then I saw his face. It was Langdon. I was halfway to my feet when his foot caught me where it hurt and my legs doubled up. I tried to keep moving and get my gun out at the same time. He was on his feet again before I was, so I fired without aiming from flat on my back. I only scorched his coat, but it stopped him a second. He swung his gun up, and I got ready to jump him. But I didn't have to A pointed black hat rose up out of the brush behind him Something flashed in the sun And he
9: collapsed Put <laughs> a spell on him, I did With this here magic wand Blown instrument to you, sonny
10: Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mrs. Switch.
9: God, his handle, son Which is my profession
14: <sighs> oh, Boy, that was a close call
9: Put the cuffs on it, Monaghan.
14: Hey, what are you doing? Oh, no, Monahan, not Spade Langdon there Been following him since I found out he was wearing women's shoes. Well, that's settled today, Spade.
10: Yeah, but you'll need this. What is it? A jeweled bullet. A slug with a diamond set in it.
14: Come on, here. It's the master master clue of this caper. Oh, yeah, the master clue. Uh, You better come along, too, lady, for questioning. We'll book her for vagrancy if we need it.
9: Oh, no, you don't. I'll turn you into a toad. You don't believe me, do you? Hoppy don't. hoppy don't. Warty and green. <laughs> Feel anything?
14: <clears throat> well, on on second thought, I reckon she's harmless, poor old soul.
9: So, indeed. Ain't got any. I sold out to old Scratch 30 years ago, come next Halloween. <laughs> See you then, Sonny.
10: Go home and gargle. <laughs> End of report.
9: But, Sam, what was the significance of the jewel bullet?
10: Hmm? Oh. Well, after he uh, shot Wilma, Langdon fired two shots into the woods, remember? Yes. Those two bullets had diamond insets so placed that they would gouge the inside of a gun barrel. All bullets fired from the gun thereafter would have markings different from the one fired into Wilma's body.
9: Oh. He was wrong, of course, but it was noble of him to want to cover up for poor Mrs. Fairley.
10: What for, Abby?
9: Well, she killed her daughter, of course, because she was just out of patience with her, getting engaged and unengaged all the time until they hadn't a friend in the world. Listen. That was the motive, wasn't it, Sam?
10: Uh, that's fairly bright, sweetheart, except that Mrs. Fairley did not kill her daughter. <gasps> Langdon did.
9: She mean she was his daughter, too, by a previous
10: marriage? Go tight that up, sweetheart, before I turn you into a toad. <laughs>
9: Of course, you know best that Mrs. Fairley was the only one with a motive and that Mr. Bright was secretly in love with her and, and wanted to marry her himself
10: So he killed her, that was Fairley Bright
9: Oh, her fiancé What happened to him?
10: He woke up and went home
9: Oh, well, I guess he didn't have a motive
10: Pay attention, sweetheart Langdon, as trustee of the Fairley estate, had embezzled large sums of money, which he would have to account for under the community property law, if she got married.
7: She got married. He had
10: already broken up many of her romances, but when the old lady went soft in the head, he decided to end the danger once and for all. He could explain matters any way he wanted to, and there'd be nobody to contradict him. Are you, uh, listening up?
9: Hmm. Sam, what does she do between Halloween?
10: The witch? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's the, uh, squeak in the door on Inner Sanctum.
9: Oh, you made the joke too small. Well, good night, Sam.
10: Good night, Sam.
7: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Dove. Loreen Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin with score composed by Renee Garagang. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too.
1: Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by Nero Wolfe. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support.